Support for this podcast comes from Blackline and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Robbie Spreckman, CFO of Fierce Brands, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 240. How is a finance leader, are you driving driving change in your organization? How are you driving change within your organization? Hello, thought leader listeners. What sets finance leaders apart from all other business leaders? It's their words and actions must always protect the trust that successful companies are built upon. Protecting the trust must be among a finance leader's foremost priorities, whereas other business leaders are arguably permitted greater latitude Their words do not have to be as measured. They're permitted to express themselves more freely. And it's with this full-throttled, unburdened, expressive freedom that entrepreneurs often breathe new life into opportunities and companies are first established and later CEOs instill their passion, their vision across vast organizations. But this can only happen when the trust has been protected and only when there's a finance leader who's made the protection of that trust a priority. With this episode, I wanted to share with you two earlier discussions that touched on trust within organizations and the unique role the CFO plays in safeguarding it. We begin right after these words from our sponsor. Many accounting and finance professionals are facing a sizable obstacle these days. In this age of data enlightenment, their financial close processes leave no time for data analysis. The very activity that opens the door to new opportunities and career advancement. Blackline has the answer. By automating, centralizing, and streamlining financial close operations, Blackline customer organizations are now ready for the data-centric world, allowing their finance and accounting professionals to open the door to new opportunities. To learn more, visit blackline.com forward slash CFO. Employee surveys have routinely revealed that CFOs are frequently the most trusted members of senior management teams, and yet they're often let's say, uh, timid when it comes to trusting others. And this may be uh, an occupational hazard, uh, perhaps, but it's one that makes the ability to build trust across organizations challenging at times. We were very pleased when Dr. Holly Brower of Wake Forest University accepted our invitation to be a guest on CFO Thought Leader and discuss the subject of trust and the CFO. Trust is an area she has studied closely over the years, and Dr. Brower begins our discussion while mentioning a quote from leadership guru, Warren Bennis. Yeah, if I can, I'd love to share that quote again. Uh, Bennis says, trust is the single most important factor the very substrate which will determine the success or failure of any organization in the 21st century, which is quite a a high claim, but I think captures the importance 
of trust. I think organizations are hungry for effective leaders. The job or the responsibility of the CFO is to represent the company and make sure that they are minimizing risk and exposure to the company. So in one sense, trustworthiness is part of their job. Different than that is the role of the CFO as a leader and their leadership style. So it's not part of their job responsibilities necessarily, but certainly part of their success in leading in organizations that they create relationships of trust for some of the reasons I've already talked about and, and many, many other good reasons for building a relationship and a culture of trust. And so I think it's interesting that perhaps the job of CFO, which is to try to safeguard the organization against um, unnecessary risk and that the result of being in that role over a period of time could, I think, cause somebody to be more skeptical or even cynical, especially as you're looking at people who are maybe doing deceptive practices and it's your job to uncover those and be involved in due diligence. Um, So I could see how it would be difficult the longer you're in that role to trust people because it's your job to not be foolishly trustworthy, but to, to protect the assets of the company from people who shouldn't be trusted. So how does a CEO then act in a trusting way so that people can trust her or him and and extend trust, that downward trust, so that people can be empowered and have voice and feel like they're taking part in the decisions of the organization? It's an interesting question. I think a CFO then has to balance those roles. Maybe like in other types of careers where you have to separate some of your style issues from your role responsibility issues, I would think that once a CFO sees him or herself as a leader and develops their leadership style, and I personally think we're always massaging that and growing in that and and continuously improving our leadership style. They need to learn the power of being trustworthy and extending trust. So they need to not only be good at the mechanics of risk management, but they also need to be great leaders. And I believe that trust is the lubricant of relationships. It's what makes relationships work. And so an excellent CEO is going to need to balance those two different issues that they're faced with on a regular daily basis. So many CFOs are finding themselves um, engaging different groups around the company. They may be sitting in on a, you know, an IT related discussion. It might be an HR discussion. It might be, uh, you know, something about a particular client and the pricing of a particular deal. There they are sitting you know, with the salespeople architecting the relationship. What advice would you give uh, someone at a senior level who is trying to uh, establish that bond with new groups of executives? 
when we're trying to demonstrate that we are trustworthy, we need to attack three different dimensions, so to speak. So those are ability, benevolence, and integrity. So what the CEO or CFO in such a situation needs to do is to signal their trustworthiness in those three areas. So by ability, that may be as simple as an introduction that includes your education, your experience, some of the successes you've had so that people feel comfortable that you have the competence to be trusted, to sit at the table and that they're going to value your input because of your competence. Um, from a benevolence point of view, the CFO and the CEO need to signal that they have the best interests of the other party in mind. So if it's the folks in marketing or if it's the folks in information systems that they're working with on strategy, they need to demonstrate that it's not a turf war but that they're really thinking of what are the best interests for both the organization as a whole, which they are protecting, and for those individual departments. If it's external people that they are negotiating with in this new role, then I would say they need to communicate benevolence that it's not a win-lose situation, but they're looking for a win-win solution. And if they telegraph that in a very vulnerable way, so sometimes it means showing some of your chips and being willing to make yourself vulnerable. Obviously, that needs to be done with care. But I think the more closed and protective you are of information, the more you signal that you are not trusting and that you may not be trustworthy, that there's secrets to be had. So sometimes being the first person at the table to model transparency and vulnerability is a good thing. Obviously, not in a foolish way, in a, in a careful way. But the third is integrity, and I think protecting one's reputation to always tell the truth, to protect the truth, even at great cost. You know, it's the reason we have talked about the Johnson & Johnson Tylenol case for decades now is because that communicated great integrity for that organization. So the people who sat around and made the strategic decision to pull all the Tylenol off the shelves communicated probably a lifelong reputation of integrity. And individuals and organizations need to be very, very proactive and careful about their reputations of always having integrity. I think it's around, you know, gossip and not talking about members who aren't at the table when they're not there. It's around telling the truth every time and the small things and the big things. Um, because those three areas, competence, integrity, and benevolence are the ways you're going to communicate early on that you are trustworthy. Next, I wanted to bookend our interview with Dr. Brower here with a discussion on ethics that we had with Jim Walker, 
one of our CFO guests from the past, who is today a CFO of Native Maine Produce and Specialty Foods. Now, this is a great example where we simply knocked on Jim's door and became introduced to a finance leader who had this stash this treasure of knowledge and insight into ethics and organizations. And he had clearly spent a a good amount of time studying the subject and practicing um, what he learned. Um, So we'll share Jim's thoughts with you right after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. So, Jim, let me ask a, a rather broad question um, to kick things off here. What do you view as the, the key attributes of ethical organizations? Well, I, I think there's probably a, a handful, and so let me... Let me list a, a few. Uh, I think probably number one and most uni- universally accepted is tone at the top. Um, I think the second one I would probably throw out is is to communicate what's expected and to be transparent about decisions in an organization. Great. Yeah. I think to move on from there, you know, make sure you catch people making good ethical decisions and using good ethical practices. And, and reward them for it. And then probably the last one I would, I would want to get in is, um, even with strong ethical leadership in an organization, I think there does need to be a clear path where someone could step forward if they felt that there was something unethical in an organization and a way to report that. Great. Why don't we uh, Why don't we explore them? What, it, what What should the tone at the top be in an ethical organization today? If you think about it, and you think about it in an organization, uh, employees observe what senior management does. And if the tone at the top is following ethical practices in all their decision-making processes, you know, people and employees will follow along behind that, and they will also make good ethical decisions. So tone at the top, leaders walking the talk, uh, I think is really, really important. You talked about communicate and communicate what's expected. What do you mean exactly? I think in a small business like ours, you know, employees get to have day-to-day interaction regularly with senior leaders. Um, in, a, in a larger middle market company, that may not be the case. So it's really, really important to communicate what the expectation is in terms of core values and ethics and make sure that that has stickiness uh, throughout the organization and consistency. Um, you know, there's there's been some research out there, in particular a Harvard Business 
article that uh, actually looked into um, how this communication process really works. And they determined that if you give a message and have an actual response to that message uh, immediately after that, then it's more likely that people will follow along. If you were to give a policy and then do nothing about it for months and months and months, that policy is not likely to take effect. So good, clear, crisp communication of what your core values are and ethics are, I think, is critically important. Next, you said create a means to catch good ethical decisions and then reward them. I think that's an interesting way of putting it. I think uh, there's a book out there, Catch Them Being Good, and uh, and it's a way of, of monitoring people's performance and focusing on what they do good versus maybe perhaps what they need improvement on. So if you can catch employees making good ethical, practical decisions and reward them for that, I think it makes a lot of sense in reinforcing um, your culture and your strategy and your core values. Um, you can do this a variety of ways. I mean, you could you could make it a point in a person's performance review. Uh, if you felt really strongly about it, of course, the best way to do it would be to make it part of their compensation plan where, where they're actually being reviewed against a criteria. Um, you know, there's an old saying out there, tell me how you're going to measure me and I'll tell you how I'm going to perform. Well, employees respond to the way they're rewarded. So making sure that, you know, you're talking about good ethics and practice is important as part of a, a feedback system and employee performance plan. The last one I recall you saying it was to clear the path. What were you getting at here? Yes. Well, you know, in an organization, um, if there should be some unethical uh, process or issue that's spotted by an employee, um, you know, the tip, typical path is you go to your supervisor and you say, gee, I'm not sure if this is really right or wrong. You know, if if that act, that unethical act, happens to be your supervisor, that means you have to step around them and go above. That, that can be uh, very, very uncomfortable for employees to do. And if it so happens, like in some of the larger fraud cases, that the next layer is involved as well, then it then it really becomes difficult for the employees to step forward and say, gee, I'm just not sure whether this is right or not. Having a confidential path that an employee can take to report a perceived unethical behavior is really, really important. So that, that can be pretty easily done through well, you have a hotline in HR or you have a confidential person that they can go to in HR. You know, even a small company like ours, um, we post on our bulletin board that if an employee feels uncomfortable about what they're seeing management doing, they have the telephone number of a male and female board of directors member that they can call and talk to. Uh, we just believe that strongly that there ought to be a way that somebody can talk about these things without feeling uncomfortable or that it's going to affect their employment somehow. It's an interesting subject uh, for CFOs, isn't it? It's it's sort of uh, in many companies, one would imagine, uh, the CFO uh, is perhaps uh, thought of 
as uh, the champion of ethics. Well, I think that's true. And unfortunately, I think some of that comes from, um, you know, our legislation and uh, our rulemaking bodies that have kind of through SOX uh, 406 made it uh, the responsibility of the CFO to ensure those risk and control, uh, you know, processes and procedures are in place. But if you focus on what uh, SOX 406 says is, it says that the chief operating officer or chief executive officer is also responsible. So in their wisdom, they knew that this was bigger than the CFO office, that it ought to be spread across the company. And therefore, I think they took a step in the right direction. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. At CFO Thought Leader, we wanted to give you, the listener, some added clout when it comes to selecting next season's CFO guests. We call it Listener's Choice. And in the months ahead, our Listener's Choice guests will enjoy some added box office clout as we advance the CFOs you most want to hear from into next season's CFO lineup. To learn more about CFO Thought Leader's Listener's Choice, visit us at cfothoughtleader.com or go ahead and email me at jack at cfothoughtleader.com. Hey, one last thing. It's no secret when we originated CFO Thought Leader, it was with iPhone users in mind. Android users, we have neglected you. And so to make amends, we just released a CFO Thought Leader mobile app just for you. It's now ready for download on Google Play and Amazon Android Markets. No matter what world you're part of, thank you for listening. <laughs>